And we're live. Sans sexy mic. You had your all yeah. your all your nice mics set up, didn't you? Yeah. <clears throat> like I said, I guess uh, other people I've talked to don't have quite as complex of a setup, so they weren't detecting whatever that was. Yeah, it must be my fault. Yeah, it's all <laughs> your fault. How dare you overachieve and ruin my plans? To be fair, I I do have a ridiculous setup over here, so I've I've got. A second monitor over there right now that's in a vertical stance for dev geeks, which is just showing the live stream. And then I've got another monitor there. I've got a second webcam there, which you can see, but they can't see. And then I've got the my actual cam, which is there. And then you wow. coming through. And then the Roadcaster Pro that's over there. And then this mic. Yeah, I, I went a little all in on podcasting. Well, sometimes it's what you got to do. Yeah. So how are you doing? How's Christmas been? Doing well. It was good to take a break for a couple of days. I actively took a couple of days off of Twitter. You know, I still got on, posted, engaged, messed around a little bit, but actively working to avoid burnout at this stage. But yeah, it was good. Actively working to avoid burnout because you feel close to it. Yeah. I mean, anytime that you're building a business based on social media, when your community, your market and your leads are coming through social media, that's obviously going to be a little more challenging because you kind of have to be on social media a lot, right? Like for me, I have to be on Twitter a lot to keep up my accounts momentum through engaging and posting valuable content, but also you know, posting things that I need to be posting to get leads for my business as well. So it's not something that you can really let go for too long because then you get punished really heavily by the algorithm. Mm. Yeah, that that's that's the other, in fact, I, I spoke about this on one of the other episodes. That's the, the other side of the whole Twitter thing that no one really, really tells you that you've got to post a lot. And mm-hmm. I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but you've got to post a lot and maintain it and if and if you don't you get punished like you said yeah so i mean back in the summer i was gaining around 50 followers a day just by posting eight to ten times a day and engaging with my replies so basically replying to my engagement and i didn't really engage on the timeline too much but they made some algorithm changes around the time of the u.s election that was coming up they did a lot with that as i know you've heard about oh yeah and my growth just plummeted like down to single digits. And then finally the community realized that to get back up to that kind of a level, you need to be engaging on the timeline because of just how the algorithm works and stuff like that. So it's a definitely an interesting game to be playing. And I noticed that that's kind of, you've started with loads of quips and stuff like that, bringing out the funny side of Joey a little bit. You didn't used to do that before. I like it. Yeah, I get that a lot, actually. I show a lot more personality basically everywhere that's not a tweet on my profile. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a, there's a balance, you know. There's a balance between showing some personality and joking around and stuff like that, memeing, mm-hmm. versus, oh, I want to give people value. But you, you kind of have to find that balance. So I my, like, like you said, my personality really comes through in other ways. It, it, it is a tough balance. And when I first started, in fact, I really started in January, a little bit like you, yeah. Um, really taking Twitter seriously, I guess. And in the early days, I was mega serious about it. I 
I didn't shitpost or meme anything or post any jokes or anything like that because I, I, I was, I, I don't know, maybe a little bit scared, maybe a little bit scared of showing too much or I don't know. But then over the last three or four months, probably a similar timeline to you again, actually, I just kind of said, eh, fuck it. Uh, and I, I'll just enjoy my time because I went through yeah. a, l- a little bit of a, a mini burnout with it as well. Where I, I, I've grown 2,000 followers. You've grown 15,000. So my my burnout is much less. But it's the, still, the, it's, it's the same problem that you face. You end up using Twitter too much. Mm. And I got to the point where I thought, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be spending all this time on Twitter? Uh, and I got to the point where I was, I'm going to write 10 tweets a day, and I always have done, but I wasn't really enjoying it anymore. So yeah. if I'm not enjoying it, I, I've got to change something. So I just started not being so strict with not not showing me, I guess. Yeah. And that was the best thing I've ever done, definitely. being Just being myself more. I've noticed a huge shift once I hit 10K followers because that was what I really wanted to do this year. I wanted to hit 10,000 followers. And then once I hit that, and I think it was mainly centered around the fact that I can't see my follower number go up and down unless I go on social blade, but because it's a constant number, essentially, I'm not worried about posting something and then losing followers. Yeah. And so that really helped me relax and reframe because I could start, you know, posting a little bit more of the stuff that I wanted to, making some jokes. I mean, one of my big things in in my content recently, and one of the inspirations for starting what I do now, in fact, was kind of making fun of, like, guru and hustle culture. Mm -hmm. You know, all these people that want to grind 25-8 and think they got it all figured out. So I've been posting some memes lately about, that kind of thing. And that's been really, really well received because not many people are doing that kind of thing, but it's also kind of been cathartic for me in a way to, you know, not really make those people feel bad, but kind of call out, Hey, things aren't that serious in a way. Like there's a balance. Yeah, there is. And I think I've tried to find that balance between being stupid or daft and also providing good value um and it is always a tough balance to do it but the the kind of the way i've approached it is to try and remember that you know a tweet's a tweet it's only one tweet half of half of your audience well less way less than half your audience aren't going to see it so Mm. as long as you maybe follow it up with something good afterwards or write a really good thread or, or whatever you're not really going to lose that much by having fun and pretty much pretty much exclusively now for me when it comes to replying to anybody's tweets i always shit post i i, <laughs> I pretty much never write a serious reply yeah. to to anybody anymore um I, and it goes for the same thing as well when people reply to me because they i don't know if you've seen this as well you'll have seen this way more than i have but reply guys have increased yeah. massively on twitter uh the people who don't know what reply guys are, reply guys are the people who basically just reply to your tweet but just reword it in a different way and you end up with five or six people just rewording your tweet. And when I get that now, I just reply to them stupid. 
and, and I do it to everybody. I, when somebody just straight up rewards my tweet or replies with zero value, I reply with the Spider-Man GIF. <laughs> like that's literally how I feel. Like you basically just said the same thing that I did. Like what was the point? It, well, what do you say back to it? I, I mean, hundred percent. Yes. Or uh, there is like literally nothing to say. It doesn't add to the conversation at all. Also, bonus points for saying GIF right. <laughs> I mean, as a as a former programmer, well, I guess kind of still current programmer, I feel like that's required. But I think that was on one of my exams at Georgia Tech, actually. Oh, how to say a GIF? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I still say GIF because I just, I prefer GIF. Um, intellectually, I prefer GIF and I prefer the sound of GIF. So I still yeah. say GIF. And also there's the, I don't know if you've got GIF, but yeah. GIF, GIF is like a cleaning solution in in the UK. Uh, it's a peanut butter here. Oh, so you've got, that's even worse. That's similar yeah. but worse. Although you could probably use it as a cleaning solution as well. Maybe, yeah. Lubricant, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just call it GIF because there's, an, there's a, a popular cleaning product called GIF. Anyway, I wanted to talk about a couple of things and the first thing i want to mention is we'll probably talk about twitter a lot but the first thing i want to mention is recently you were called improvement geek and now you've changed your name to cypreneur yep um what why did you change your name to cypreneur say something again testing one two three ah there we go Oh dear. <laughs> I've just just had like a, fl- a couple of people say, I can't hear Joey, can't hear Joey. So they've been listening to me for five minutes and, and you just going. Tss. Nice. Right. So repeat the, repeat the Cypreneur thing. Okay. So I chose the name Cypreneur and rebranded because it better fits what I'm doing with my business now. So I started as Improvement Geek in May of 2018. The name Improvement Geek came because I considered myself a geek, so I've always been a gamer. I was a computer engineer, programmer, was always a space nerd and that kind of a thing. So that's where the geek part came from. And then when I started my project and my eventual business, it was based around helping people improve with psychology and neuroscience. Mm. It was also a bit of an homage to my two main inspirations at the time. So, and most um, I've never talked about this on Twitter, actually. So those were Improvement Pill and Thomas Frank, also known as College Info Geek. So that all kind of worked out. I mean, this was a multi-day process coming up with this name. So I was the Improvement Geek for almost a year and a half. And then I had some people tell me that that wasn't the best name for various reasons. And then, you know, I niche down to focusing on helping entrepreneurs and freelancers, founders, that kind of thing. And because I had played a lot of World of Warcraft, one of my skills that I developed was making names from mashing together words. (laughs) So I mashed together psychology and entrepreneur and it worked out. So here we are. (laughs) I like it. I, I liked Improvement Geek as well. I, I liked both both the names, but there is something. Uh, it do, does feel a little bit World of Warcrafty, like it's a class, like it's a class in World of Warcraft, a Cypreneur class. 
But yep. I no, I I like it. So so you've been thinking a lot more about niching improvement geek down this year then, I presume. Yeah. Taking it more seriously. Yeah, so the history of Improving Geeks Life Cypreneur, I started on YouTube on May 4th, 2018. And you still do YouTube videos. I haven't done a YouTube video in almost a year, but a uh, sneak, sneak preview for your audience is that I'm actually going to restart doing YouTube soon. Nice. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, if you're familiar with Alex Becker and the videos that he's done, um, if you don't know Alex Becker, I highly recommend checking him out. But uh, what I want to do is very inspired by the videos that he's created. So, yeah, so I started on YouTube. I did a video every single week. They were highly edited, highly scripted, which isn't great. And they took about 10 to 15 hours a week. Wow. And, yeah, I did that every single week for about eight months. And it wasn't really getting anywhere. So I had about 300 subscribers. I would mostly like Facebook friends that I harassed into subscribing to me and my mom. But I would spend all that time making a video and then put it out. And then, then it would get like 50 views. And it was just very disheartening. So after several months of that, I took a break early this year around January because I was about to move. And then for some reason decided to start taking my Twitter account seriously. So at the time in January 19th, I think I had 300 followers. I've had this account for years, but I've never really used it other than to say, Hey, I put out a new video, but you know, no one really followed me. So I started taking it seriously. I bought a couple Twitter guides, started growing, started growing my network, which is the most important thing. And then never really got back to YouTube because it didn't, it felt like I got a lot more return on my investment on Twitter Mm -hmm. and then experimented with a few different niches. I was really into productivity for a while. I was in a couple of groups that shouldn't have really been. And then I had a conversation with Jack Butcher one day, a couple of months ago, and he read my pin tweet at the time, which was kind of my life story and about how I've, you know, kind of transformed myself. And he was like, that's really good. You should use that. And so I started focusing more on transformation, like helping people transform their lives. And then from that, I niche that down to entrepreneurs. So helping them transform themselves, their productivity or their performance and basically make more money or have more free time. I'm I'm always fascinated by this, this idea of taking Twitter seriously Mm -hmm. and, and, and why people do it. Uh, and, and you kind of said, oh, I decided to take Twitter seriously. And it's a big decision. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, as, what was your inspiration behind it? Did in, in January, did you see Twitter as replacing the job you already had? Or was it just, I'm going to take Twitter seriously and see where it goes? I, it feels like forever ago, but I honestly don't remember what really made that happen for me. I mean, cause I had like my Twitter followers, mostly people I went to school with essentially, or, you know, dead accounts that I've met over the past eight years. I think I tweeted a little bit, but it was very long form content. So I was basically tweeting paragraphs, which, you know, doesn't really fit Twitter. Mm. 
somehow I came across Life, Life, Life Math Money, got his guide, met Jose Rosado and a few others. And then uh, my favorite podcast, um, other than you, of course, Art of Charm, uh, gave me a shout out on January 31st, I think. And that helped me get some followers. Yeah. And it was, it was really motivated by the network and the people that I met. I mean, there's a few groups that I'm in now. Like there are some people who like make getting on Twitter every day fun. And I really think that for new accounts, they should really focus on growing their network because that's what I've found has been the most important part. And and that's the kind of the underrated side of Twitter, isn't it, as well? That's the that's the thing when, when I first started and I decided, right, I'm going to take Twitter seriously. I'm either on it or I'm off it permanently. I'm going to take it mm-hmm. seriously. I never even considered the idea that it would turn into meeting people like you and meeting people like Jack Butcher. And by the way, Jack Butcher is is the influence behind pretty much everybody on the internet right now, I think. Yeah. Um, meeting people like you and Jack and Robbie Crabtree and a million other people, I couldn't even shout out on this. That's been the true power of Twitter for me. And mm-hmm. you're completely right about that focus on building a network of people. I now feel like... In January this year, I felt like I knew the only people I knew were within 20 miles of where I lived. Now yeah. this year, I know people globally, and I, I'm thankful to call them friends. You're completely right. That's the power of Twitter. I think we miss that sometimes. Yeah, I've noticed when I spend time on other social media platforms, especially Reddit, they're very hostile towards Twitter. They talk about how Twitter is like a cesspool filled with hate and everything. The thing is, if that's your Twitter experience and you're following the wrong people, you have to curate your feed. Like Twitter, the access that you have to incredible people is unparalleled. Like I, at this point, I'm convinced that Twitter is the best social media platform. Like others have their places for different purposes, but for networking, I really feel like Twitter is the best. I completely agree. I've been on every other social network. I've used them all extensively. I've used some of them for my job in in the design agency. And definitely Twitter, hands down, is the one. But I think what makes it so powerful and what I don't think any of the other ones can touch is this idea you can just jump into somebody's mind. You, mm-hmm. you can, even when you put aside the networking stuff, even if you're not into the networking side, fair enough. But if you, you just say, right, I'm, I want to see inside the daily thoughts of a multi-million pound investor, or I, I want to see inside the mind of, uh, I don't know, uh, an ultra marathon runner, or, or mm-hmm. literally whatever it is, there is somebody on Twitter with that specialist knowledge that are sharing it completely for free, sharing it daily in kind of nice little tidbits that you can actually consume and understand it is really powerful like that yeah i mean i was just talking to a guy this morning just a few hours ago actually a guy that just started up his account and he's growing it and he's a former restaurateur lifelong chef and he wants to share his knowledge about making tasty and fancy food basically and i was telling him like i can't think of anybody you know other than fitness bros that are doing that kind of thing right now yeah. so it's going to be really cool to see him get his account growing 
so you can share that with people because it's just like there's a space for that do you think that's one of the most important things to work out if if you're listening to this and you've seen that you've grown 15,000 followers this year do you think one of the most important things was niching down and being very specific yeah and that's something that i've talked to a lot of people about in fact so when you first start off i did this exact same thing when you first start off you want to be general because you think oh i want if i want a big following or if i want to make a lot of money which isn't necessarily linked together by the way then i've got to appeal to the most people the problem is is that if you try to appeal to everyone then you're not going to appeal to anyone this is true in life as well if you're just like white bread, basic, like no flaws whatsoever, you're not going to be interesting to anyone. No one's going to really care about what it is that you do. When you start niching down and focusing on something, then yeah, you may be appealing to less groups of people. Like basketball players aren't going to be interested in following me. They're not, I mean, they may be entrepreneurs, but not all of them are, but you're going to form a deeper connection with that person. So it's like, for me, for example, instead of being a general performance coach, I'm a performance coach for entrepreneurs. So that implies that I know more about that kind of life and business and the challenges and struggles that go along with being successful in business. So that people who come to my profile that fit that criteria, they know that they get the sense, perhaps subconsciously, that I would be better able to help them than somebody who doesn't niche down in that way. So the more specific, basically you're going more narrow to go deeper with your target audience. How long did it take you to work it out? About a year, basically the entire time that I've had my Twitter account. I started, I finally niched down to entrepreneurs in the start of November, basically. And I remember you and I had had a conversation a few months before that about how I was thinking about working with software engineers, programmers, because I've been a software engineer for a few years now and experimented with that. I thought it over and then decided to go a different way with it. Do you think it was the best way for you to do it, to start broad and then niche down? If So say so I was starting an account tomorrow. Say I want to start a new account would you yeah. would you tell me that this is often a sticking point for a lot of people, and mm-hmm. I think we might have different viewpoints on this. Would you tell somebody to start without a niche, or would you tell them to work out a niche and then start? So I have a couple answers to that. One is it depends on what kind of results they're wanting. So if you're wanting fast, like if you're wanting fast growth versus if you're wanting long-term sustainable and then larger growth later on that changes things i think that if you want if you're playing the long game which you should be in business or social media either one you should be wanting to play the long game and i would say niche down further from the start Mm -hmm. and then yeah especially because when you're first starting your twitter account you don't have any followers, so you're not really tweeting to anybody. You need to be engaging. Don't be a reply guy, but you need to be engaging and providing value to the posts that others make. But Joe, so, Joey, everybody's reply guys. Nobody's yeah, listening well, to we, this. We kind of have to be at this point. 
yeah, I I started in January with the very wide goal of just taking Twitter seriously, and I didn't know where that was going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of had an, a rough idea of niche. Um, I'm a designer. I was going to talk about design stuff. It's pretty much all I know. Yeah. And I also enjoy self-improvement and things like that and daily challenges, etc. And the only thing I set in January was I'm going to write 10 tweets every day. And to this day, knock on wood, I've got a very big wooden table, so I'm actually knocking on wood. Um, to this day, I've done that pretty much every day. I've, I've written 10 tweets. So my, and this has been a philosophy of mine for a very long time, my thought process on this kind of thing when you're trying to work out a niche is I don't think you should wait to start just because you don't know what you're starting. And I know that might sound a bit stupid, um, might maybe lead to wasted time, but for me, if I would have waited, because like you, I've only really worked out a kind of general idea of my niche probably this month or last month really only started focusing down to releasing uh, a visual community a design community only just focused down to doing design type tutorials and then fingers crossed going to be writing a, a design type book so that's all really new for me and if i would have waited to figure that out and if I wouldn't have been writing the 10 tweets per day, I don't think I would have got to that point. So I would still wouldn't have started. You know what I mean? The time would have passed anyway. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. The time would have passed and I would have, because I wouldn't have had anything, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have had 3,000 followers now. I would have still had 1,000 followers, just my friends that I'd built up over 12 years. I wouldn't have had the audience either to validate the ideas with. Um, I haven't been super general with the way that I tweet. I, I do tend to stick to specific topics of what I know, which is design and uh, doing things every day and consistency and stuff like that. But the the switch of my content has definitely been more towards design now and very much less about the kind of harsh truth type thing of consistency and blah 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 because i got bored of all that kind of stuff and it wasn't leading to anything that i could offer further down the line so the the bigger point i'm making really is that my attitude has always been that you should start even if you don't know what you're starting and yeah just do do something (laughs) yeah So there's a few benefits to that. One is that you're going to learn a lot from the process. You know, you may think that you want to, if you have a niche, you may think that you want to talk about Alaskan squirrels or something like that. And you have all these big plans of making an account based on that. And then you start tweeting about it and you're like, no, I don't really like all that. I get, I get bored with it. You know, like what you were just saying about what you got bored with. And I've done a similar thing. You know, I dabbled with only talking about productivity content. And then I got really bored because it's like, I know a lot of other things that I can help people with that are related to helping them improve in their life and in their business. There's a lot to growing a social media platform and a lot to growing a business. 
is based on a social media platform. So the earlier that you start, the earlier you start getting that valuable experience. And that's the thing is you can't gain experience in something through reading a Twitter growth guide or just following people without talking. You really need to jump in and get that experience yourself. I think I think often some people have this idea that the thing that they're going to start has to be the thing that they're going to do until they're 90 years old. Yeah. So when they start it, they overthink it and think, right, I've got to get it perfect this time because if I don't get it perfect this time, that's it. You know, that's that's the end of the road. But I, I think with tw- with Twitter specifically, that couldn't be further from the truth, right? You could you can easily set up a new account or rename the account or blitz it and start again. Yeah. Well, another cool thing is that as you get as your account gets bigger and people have known you for longer, they want to see other stuff from you. Like they want yeah. to see more of your personality. They want to see more of your interests. Like the other day I was out at a park and took a walk and I posted a picture like out for a walk at my favorite place, Piedmont Park in Atlanta. And I mean, I didn't get incredible engagement, but that's not what it was for. You know, I was sharing something about myself with my audience. And I think that people, and I've done this myself, but I think that some people get so focused on creating content and engaging and tweeting that they forget to also be people. But the thing is, is that, the more of a person that you are, the more your audience is going to resonate with you. Like the more human you are, the more people are going to resonate with you. So it's really finding a balance that works for you, I guess, in that aspect. It is a weird balance because it's almost like the the less useful content you create, mm-hmm. that sometimes that gets more engagement. And yeah. you, you, you feel a little bit of the hit of, the dopamine rush of, oh, that got a lot of engagement. Maybe I should make some more content about whatever that thing was. And yeah. then before you know it, you're writing 10 tweets a day that are nothing to do with the thing that you've, you actually intended to, to start with. I think you're completely right on the personality thing. That was a big, that was a big reveal for me. That was a big thing that uh, kind of hit, hit me between the eyes because uh, you once you're enjoying it, once you're enjoying the, your time on Twitter, People can tell that. And Mm. and the biggest compliment I got, I was on somebody else's podcast the other day and they DM'd me afterwards saying, you're exactly like the way that you tweet. Uh, And ideally that's what you want, isn't it? Right. And because I think even when you niche down, there's still another thousand of you, whatever you are, there's still another thousand of you out there. The only differentiator is you. And if, if you're leaving the differentiator out, your personality, the way that you say things, the way that you do things, your thing of going on daily walks and recording the videos, all that kind of thing, if you leave those things out because you're worried that it might put some people off, there is like literally nothing to dif- to differentiate you from anybody else. Right. But And then people are going to follow and support the options that are already there and have a bigger following than you because that's just the way that humans work yeah but on the on the flip side the the ironic side of it is that that kind of content that isn't as polished that isn't as that you know that, as, that isn't as well thought out is the hardest thing to do because you're mm-hmm. af- you're almost afraid of making it because you're afraid of what people are going to say about you 
Yeah, it's like uh, a Jack Butcher tweet that he put out a while back that was like just a quick video, and then he showed his camera roll, and it's got like 30 different things where he's tried to take it. Yeah. I feel that on my daily walk some days. Some days I do it in one take, and then some days it takes me 10 or 15 tries. And I, I rarely ever decide what it, my video for the day is going to be about until I walk out my door. Like I get walking, and then I think about things that I can make a video about. Yeah. I, I really like that pressure of making something daily and not thinking about the thing that you're going to make until yep. the crunch point comes. We were just talking about it before we started this, wasn't we, about how you work better under pressure. We were talking specifically about speaking, but yep. I, I'm the same. If I know I've got to get something done, you get it done to a good enough standard. Right. So I, I want to come across the thing that we've flirted around which is this transformation yep that you went through we've got to talk about this because i re- i remember seeing this on on twitter uh so you posted this on august the 19th i remember seeing it around that time i'm looking at the tweet now and this is the untold story of joey and i had no idea about any of this and the headline figure and i'll let you fill in the bits in a second is you put how I went from unofficially homeschooled, 370 pounds and pre-diabetic, zero social skills, to becoming an engineer from Georgia Tech, starting Improvement Geek, and losing 170 pounds, which is insane. Mm-hmm. T- tell me about that. I don't, I don't even know where to start with that. I don't even know a pointed question to ask. <laughs> I, guess, I guess the pointed question is, what was the thing that made you do it? Why, why did you flip? Being afraid that if I didn't start improving myself, I wouldn't have much time left. So in 2008 to 2010, I was over 370 pounds. I was pre-diabetic and I had very low testosterone. When I would go out, we lived in Florida at the time, which is a very humid environment. And whenever I would go out and walk, I felt like garbage, like I had a hard time breathing and just could barely exercise at all. And I knew that if I didn't change something, then I might not have a whole lot of time left to change that. So I started experimenting with different ways to lose weight. I got a job as a construction worker, laying gas lines for a while, and just being outside away from World of Warcraft for most of the day helped me lose weight. And then I didn't really have a sustainable way of doing that, like a system or anything. So when I started college in 2012, I gained a lot of it back. I would typically gain gain 10 or 20 pounds every final season. And I went back up to over 300 there for a while in 2015-ish and then started losing weight again. And... That's actually like the whole weight loss battle is what led to me starting to study psychology because I was stuck like 20 or 30 pounds away from my goal. And I started reading self-help books to figure out like how to get myself over that hump. And then I really quickly got addicted to self-help books as a lot of people do, but I got tired of all the cliches and just nonsense so I started reading about psychology and neuroscience because I figured if I could understand how the engine worked, I could drive the car better, essentially. And 
then that led to me realizing I could use that information to help other people, and that's how Improvement Geek was born. But ultimately, that whole journey started because I was so tired of not having a life slash hating my life. And I realized that I needed to make a change soon. Mm. I I went through a similar journey as as well. Um, but the, the catalyst for me was I used to have a physical job when I was a teenager. And then I got my first professional job, which was I was a designer. And then as soon as I got my first professional job, I used to eat like shit. And then I was sat down all day and I continued eating like shit. And yeah. then I put on, oh, I don't know, five five stone, six stone, whatever that is in pounds, 100 pounds, something. Wow. Maybe a bit less. Um, and I and I went through the same same thing. And I, I, I don't think I ever got as far as as maybe what you're saying but i there was still a realization for me i wonder if you had the same i had this realization one day where i got on the scales i was 18 stone four pounds i'll never forget it and from from that day that was it i was a a man possessed to lose weight (laughs) and nothing was going to stop me i didn't understand any of it didn't know where i was going to start or anything did you have kind of the same thing? Like this is like the the cutoff point. This is the line in the sand, and and nothing's going to stop me. I don't remember exactly what the moment was, but I do remember that there was a summer where I was trying hard to get myself outside and go to walk and go exercise, like go play basketball, and I just couldn't do it. Like we lived at an apartment really close to a nice park in Florida. And I just couldn't do it. And then one day, I I think I started making small changes first. Yeah. And then when I started making progress and started picking up momentum, that motivated me to keep it going. And then I wound up losing, I think, 117 pounds in 17 months. Wow. So I lost a lot of that weight really quickly. But like I said, I wasn't doing it sustainably. I didn't really know what I was doing. And then I started college and it kind of all fell apart. So over the next few years, it was a roller coaster up and down with my weight. And then it wasn't until 2016 where I started losing weight consistently because I was using systems like low carb and intermittent fasting and stuff like that, Mm. tracking my food. And then those things really helped me stay on path and help me keep my momentum going. How do you think, world of warcraft fit into it do you see that as a bad thing or a good thing it was definitely a bad thing because i let myself get addicted to it i actually downloaded the free trial of world of warcraft in 2006 to prove to my girlfriend at the time that i wouldn't get addicted (laughs) and then i got addicted (laughs) have you do you still play it now have you gone back to it i've tried it's thankfully the game is not what it used to be. So I've tried it off and on, and it's just, it, there's no chance of me ever getting addicted to it again. Where do you sit on the old video games thing? Do you do you enjoy playing video games, or do you see it as, like, it sometimes feels like on Twitter that it's, it's the death that you're not allowed to play video games? 
Well, see, the thing is, uh, I think a lot of these hustlers are telling us not to watch Netflix while they're watching Netflix. <laughs> so there's that. But I, I don't have a problem with video games, so I've actually tweeted this. Netflix and video games and all that stuff isn't the problem. Like, our ability to moderate it is the problem sometimes. Yeah. So I still game occasionally. I love racing games. I love ruining people's day with Mario Kart. Um <laughs> that came about because one of my roommates was very good at smash and it hurt my feelings. So I, I turned uh, Mario Kart into my game, but you know, RPG stuff like that. I still play sometimes, but I have noticed kind of a mental struggle where whenever I play video games, I feel like I should be doing other stuff. Mm. And it's kind of the reverse of what a lot of people experience where they get distracted from their work by video games i get distracted by video games from my work so like twitter and not that twitter's saying a whole lot because that's addictive in itself but oh i should be reading or oh i should be writing a new article or and stuff like that so mm-hmm. like i'm totally fine with video games and i play them sometimes but i find that i can't keep myself playing them long because i want to work on my business instead I I used to play them all the time. I used to love playing them. I play them maybe once or twice a week now. I've literally got every console you can buy, well, apart from the PS5 right now. Um, So I'm mega into video games, but I barely get the chance to play them. And I think think that's the flip, isn't it? When you find something that you really love doing, you want want to do it. And it it doesn't matter what's put in in your path, what temptation is put in your path, you'll, you'll want to stick to doing it. But... I think one of the the under the underpinnings of all this, and the thing that isn't really talked about that much, and it's only really being talked about now in the in things like the social dilemma documentary on Netflix, is that uh, there's two things really: when we get addicted to either video games or Netflix or Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, we don't realize that they are designed to get us addicted. Yeah, and a lot of people even now still don't appreciate the fact that they are specifically designed to keep you on app, basically. Mm -hmm. Whether that is on app on a video game, whether that is on app on Netflix or Facebook or Twitter, uh, that's that's the really dangerous part for a lot of people that they don't understand. Like my mum, for example. She's she's on Facebook all the time. Yeah. She doesn't understand that it is designed to keep her there. And 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 what until she understands that you turn around one day and you you look at your screen time on your phone and you see you've been on facebook for 3 hours a day which is ridiculous yep yeah that's the challenge so you know i'd said that these things aren't the problem your ability to moderate is the problem but that's really what it comes down to is you building up the ability in yourself to only spend a little bit of time on Facebook or, oh, I'm only going to play games for an hour tonight and stuff like that. And unfortunately, because we're surrounded by things that are designed to be addictive, it can be really difficult to moderate. You know, it's the same thing with sugar and alcohol. It can be very difficult to moderate those as well. And that's a challenging subject because you can question, is it better for someone to never have those things at all Mm. or to go through the challenge and the struggle of learning how to moderate these things. Yeah, I think it's different for different people, isn't it? I've yeah, I've got it I've got a friend who to 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 basically 
try try and moderate his his eating uh he, he went from meat eating to to vegan you know to basically cut off most of the choices that he had yeah um, which is one way of doing it um and then then other people might might do intermittent fasting so they 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 can't eat past a certain time or can't eat until a certain time and they use that method to to mm-hmm. basically cut off the choices i i prefer to do it in moderation but there is there is people out there isn't there who just have that personality they have an addictive personality and if if you are one of those people and you are doing that thing whatever it is you're addicted to you you literally can't do it at all can you you do it for 5 minutes and you want to do it for 10 hours and the only way to get around that for most people who will will like that is to cut it out of the life completely yeah that's something that is very common with alcoholics anonymous for example with people who go to aa who are drinkers and apparently they tell you basically you can never drink again they tell you you're always an alcoholic don't they yeah because you're always an alcoholic and there's some that's a whole other discussion but they're a little bit onto something from a neurological perspective because once something becomes a habit for you just because you stop for a day doesn't mean you broke the habit Mm. habit formation and undoing a habit is a long process so when you've been for example for me playing world of warcraft for years just because I quit playing World of Warcraft for a week doesn't mean that I'm not an addict anymore. Those habits, those neural pathways are still there, ready to be accessed at any time. It takes a long time for those uh, neural pathways to be become unmyelinated or kind of fade away in a sense. So it's no surprise that there are certain people who have been doing something that's bad or you know not helpful for them for a long time that struggled to get away from it. So that's why, you know, you need to either limit yourself and put up barriers, whether it's accountability or intermittent fasting or something like that, where you can moderate your intake or just cut it out for a long time. I mean, maybe that's the answer for some people. Mm. I remember reading a book a while ago, quite a long time ago now. I think it was called the no diet diet. And Mm -hmm that book talks about habits the whole idea behind the book is that no point doing a diet you need to change your habits and and when i read that i was still trying to learn how to eat healthy and change these habits and things like that and the the book describes exactly what you were saying that you you can start eating healthy but you need to change the habit and it isn't just that individual habit you've got to see them as a web of habits that if you know, it might be if if you're overeating past 9 p.m. on a night, it might be because you're watching your favorite TV show and mm-hmm. the favorite TV show triggers the habit to eat Cheetos or whatever. And then after you've eaten Cheetos, you say, right, I, I want a glass of milk. So then you get a glass yeah. of milk. And and then after the milk, you, you want a chocolate bar or whatever. And it's you've got to unpack the insane web of habits. And some of those things are are more deep-seated than others and that you've got to kind of keep worrying backwards over and over and over to find where the habit sits yeah so we have these things called keystone habits and these can either work for us or against us so for a lot of people they have one certain habit that acts like a keystone that triggers other habits 
So, you know, watching a TV show is a great example. So a lot of people will come home from a long day at work and then grab six pack of beer and some Doritos and sit down and watch Queen's Gambit all night. And like that act of watching TV is their keystone habit. Whereas if they're not doing that and they're doing something different, then they're going to be a lot less likely to engage in those other harmful habits. But thankfully, as many things in psychology and neuroscience do, it works for you. It can work both ways. So it can work for you as well. Mm. For example, you can create positive keystone habits around exercise or weight loss or building a business, those kind of things. You just have to be intentional and structure these things so that, you know, when I put on my work clothes for the day, then I'm going to sit down and do work and not focus on my phone. That just off the top of my head, that kind of thing. What What's the, what was the keystone habit for you? Do you think it was World of Warcraft? When I was unhealthy, yeah, it was World of Warcraft. That kept me glued to my chair for 16 hours a day. Yeah. And, and then obviously you surround yourself by the food that you can quickly eat to continue yep. playing World of Warcraft. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a fascinating topic. Have you got any good book recommendations for that to look into that? Atomic Habits. I've recommended that to a thousand like thousands of people <laughs> at this point. Atomic Habits by James Clear is by far the best. And The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg is pretty good as well. But Atomic Habits is the best. Yeah, I I've I've that pretty much comes up on every single podcast I do. Yep. Where pe- people mention Atomic Habits, and I've still never read it. It's absolutely incredible. <laughs> well, we've run for just about an hour, so we should probably go after after my mess up. <laughs> um, do you want to finish off and say anything to close? Do you want to plug anything? Yeah, so... What I always like to end these conversations with is based on a concept called the locus of control. So the locus of control is a psychological concept where it can be either external or internal, and it relates to how much control people think they have over how their life turns out. If it's external, you think that life just happens to you. You're a passenger in the car. If it's internal, then you believe that you're responsible for how your life is going and how your future will will turn out you're more like the driver of the car my main message with what i do is telling people you have far more control over your life and your environment and your future than you think that you do and once you become aware of that once you accept responsibility for all these things then you gain control over all these things so take responsibility for yourself and you'll gain more control than you've ever realized that you've had. Wow, that's a powerful way to end. Do you end every conversation like that? I try to. When given the opportunity, yes. <laughs> Cheers, man. This has been awesome. We'll definitely have to do this again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Speak to you again soon.